This morning, of course, we're continuing in our series on the Ten Commandments. We have come to number six. I love series that are long like this because I don't really have to figure out what I'm going to do next week. I can just do the Seventh Commandment next week. Uh, do not murder. Now, as we've, we've gotten through the... They're not complicated, necessarily. They're more complicated. Because uh, commands six through nine are just one-liners, right? They're pretty easy. Uh, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Just one after the other. Boom, boom, boom. Generally, everyone agrees that these are rules. Not even uh, in Christianity, necessarily, or even in the Old Testament. But most legal systems throughout history have had this. These ideas is the basis of their system. Uh, because these uh, have have to do with how we treat one another. These are very basic, universal human experiences. How should we treat one another? And, and most societies, not all, most societies throughout history have agreed you should, we shouldn't let people just kill each other. We should have some sort of sanctity around our relationships. We shouldn't just let people take whatever they want. And we shouldn't allow it. one of the bedrocks of any court system throughout history is the idea of, of good eyewitness testimony. This is an important idea. So don't bear false witness against your neighbor. These are generally universally accepted truths. But these are expanded and explained more in depth. You just got these one-liners here. God explains them more in the Old Testament, and then Jesus, of course, expands on these in the New Testament. Uh, one of the things you're going to see as we go through this next stretch of commandments is the importance of Matthew 5 and 6, the section that was read for us, of course, uh, a, a moment ago. You have heard that it was said, his had the ancients, uh, the ESP has, you have heard that it was said to those of old, and he's going to hit most of these things. You have heard that it was said, do not murder. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Uh, he's going to talk about what does that mean as we go forward into the new covenant, right? Now, think about for a moment the differences between kill, slaughter, murder. Of course, we have more words. We could talk about slaying. Uh, we could talk about, uh, are there any other words, English words for that? Manslaughter, of course, is a legal definition. We even, in, in our legal system, we have first, second, and third degree murders. Sounds like you're burning somebody, first, second, and third degree burns. Uh, because we understand that the idea of killing exists on a spectrum, right? The, the word kill is too broad. It's too big. To end the life of another person is too big of an idea. There's way more subtlety and variation within English. We know that. We understand that. That's we have, why we have like four or five different words. Of course, the Israelites were not different, right? The Israelites had similar four or five, five or six different words uh, to denote how the ending of somebody's life came about. Uh, so we could think about the generic word for die. There's a lot of times, 800 times, sometimes in the sense of to cause to die. That's the very basic word, right? The generic word for strike or hit, if I hit you, that it's 500 times. Sometimes in the sense of striking down and killing, that is I, I, I beat you to death, or I hit you with some implement like a plow and I beat you to death. Uh, the common, most common specific word for kill, that is the ending of another person's life, 167 times used both of intentional and unintentional. There is an even more specific word, very specialized word, for ritualistic killing. That is a killing that would you would do in the context of a sacrifice. That is, I kill this animal. Of course, if you're going into the land of Canaan, as the Israelites were, you would encounter this word. They would use this word to talk about how they would sacrifice children. These, these pagans, they would use this word for a ritualistic killing. 
the word in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is not any of these words. These very common, you can see how many times they're used, a bunch of times. Exodus Deuteronomy 5, of course, the instances of the Ten Commandments, doesn't use any of these words. It uses a very specific word. The word used in both iterations of the Ten Commandments is the rarest word in the Old Testament occur, uh, for killing, occurring only 47 times. And the vast majority of those, 80% plus, maybe 90%, occur in two chapters, Numbers 35 and Joshua 20 and 21. This word is very special. It is the word that God uses mostly for talking about this specific command in Israel. Now, if you, I don't know, for super bonus points, if you think about it, do you happen to know what Numbers 35 and Joshua 20 are off the top of your head? I'd kind of be shocked. Uh, how, when was the last time you read the passages on the cities of refuge? Because that's what these passages are. The cities of refuge is they're about to enter into the land of Canaan. Uh, that's what is this, use, this word is used mostly to discuss. So let's look at those passages. Numbers 35, 9 through 12. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. Now, why did you need cities of refuge? They designated several cities. Because in Israel, if you killed somebody, their family had a right to come after you, essentially. Uh, and and uh, eye for an eye. He says this, Jesus says this as well, right? You have heard that it was said to those of old, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, that's this idea. You killed some of my family, I'm going to come kill you, is how it went. So the cities of refuge idea, if you've killed a person, and here's the key, without intent, you can go to one of these cities and the person who would avenge their family member was not allowed to kill you until you had faced trial. Stand, uh, stood judgment before the congregation, right? Numbers 35, 16 through 17. Oh, the reason I have these underlined and highlighted, that's this word in Exodus 20. You shall not murder. Or you shall not, uh, in this context, be a manslayer. Numbers 35, 16 and 17. If he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. If he struck him down with a stone tool that would cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Here's where it gets difficult. All of the highlighted and underlined words are the same word in Hebrew. Same word. It is one of those, and I've talked about this before, these pesky words that are totally context dependent because he's very clearly in the second part of that passage talking about intentional killing. You picked up a thing, you, you hit the person, and they died. You intended to kill that person. Uh, he goes on, we're going to read another passage. If he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall be the murderer, or shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. And that could be out in a field. That could be in a, in a, in a city, in a town, like wherever he was. If the person found him, he's like, you're dead. I'm killing you. And nobody could do anything about it. If he pushed him suddenly without enmity or hurled anything on him without lying in wait or used a stone that could cause death and without seeing him dropped it on him so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood accordance with these rules. Again, same word. 
manslayer, murderer. You shall not murder. That's this word. And again, it occurs 90% of the uses are either in the Ten Commandments or in this to these contexts of the cities of refuge. Now, what we take away first, the thing that changes in these contexts is what? Why did the death happen? What was in the heart of the person who caused the other person to die? That's the only thing that's different. It's not a different word. Now, in English, we have different words, which is why they're translated differently, right? In English, manslayer and murderer are two totally different words. We could have killer. That would be a different word. We could have slayer just without the man part. That would be a different idea. Now, all of these different words in English, in Hebrew, it's a little more blurry. What's the difference? Why did it happen? Did you mean to do it? Was it premeditated? Was it something that you planned and thought about? Was it something that you intentionally tried to do? Or was it an accident? And, and God is understanding, I think, right? He knows how life is. Stuff happens sometimes. Not through any fault of our own. Not through any intentional malice. Accidents, tragic, horrible, awful accidents happen. They do. And in that case, it was to be judged differently, right? So the second takeaway from this... Oh, I skipped some stuff. God clearly distinguishes between different kinds of killing and different motivations for killing. Now, we just looked at a command last week, honor your father and mother, and what was the, in extreme instances, the consequence for that? If there is a son who is rebellious, will not listen, even though he's been disciplined, even though his parents have tried to bring him back to the right way, Take him before the congregation and stone him. Well, that's killing, putting someone to death. But that clearly didn't violate the sixth commandment. And what are they about to do as they go into the land of Canaan? They're about to go into the land of Canaan and, and start waging war, essentially, on the Canaanites. They're going to kill a lot of people in the war. That obviously didn't violate the sixth commandment. There's some nuance in here. There's some, some, some ideas that we need to understand of subtlety and meaning that when God says you shall not murder, that is not a blanket ban on killing, obviously. There's intent involved here. Thus, it is clearly, it clearly matters to God what our intent is. Not just what we do, but why we do it. Now, as we come to the New Testament, because uh, as we're doing this study, we're, we're trying to bring these things forward. How are these things repeated? How are these things reinforced in the New Testament? The concept of do not murder, very clear in the New Testament. We could think about the passage. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you what? If somebody strikes you, turn the other cheek. If you would take your, clo or take your tunic, give him your cloak also. I may have reversed those words. So we have this idea, of course, that this, the idea of the avenger. Jesus has gotten rid of that idea. No more. If somebody kills your family member, you're not allowed to just go kill that person, obviously. What does Paul say to the Romans? Never avenge yourselves. That word never is a little difficult. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. But Jesus does increase the difficulty of the command in a harsher way when thinking about intent which is why we're going to focus on the reading that was read for us. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, Jesus, the Son of God, the one who is going to institute his new covenant, I say to you what? 
Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Rather than relax the expectation of behavior, Jesus increases it, right? It's not just actions or motivations behind those actions, but the thoughts of our heart that matter now. I don't know, I kind of think it would be easier to go back to the old way, right? Because I can refrain from killing you fairly easily. It's not very hard to refrain from killing. Uh, if I, even if I don't like you, if, I, if I'm not a big fan of yours, if you've done something bad to me, in my own personal way of thinking, my own personality, I'm just not very tempted to murder. But to think badly of, to be angry with, to insult, to think poorly of, that's a little more tempting, isn't it? It's tough. This command, this principle, is, I think, more difficult than the Old Testament idea. Do not murder. Well, I say to you, whoever is angry will be liable to judgment. Now, he does this with adultery as well. We're going to look at next week. What does he say about adultery? You have heard that it was said to those of old, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, what? Whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent. Again, it's not too difficult not to commit adultery. It takes a lot of work to commit adultery. But the controlling of the thoughts and the heart. Ooh, that's tough. That's tough, guys. First John 3, 11 through 15. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here we say the same theme, right? Same idea. Our intent in our actions, he talks about why Cain killed Abel, but also the content of our hearts. We should not be like Cain who murdered his brother, but we should also not be like Cain who hated his brother. Why did he hate him, right? He says, he tells him why. Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. He hated Cain. Uh, I always get him mixed up. Cain hated Abel. Why? Because Abel was accepted by God. Cain was not. He didn't like that God punished, or God was upset with him. He didn't like that Abel was successful. And so this boiling resentment and hatred built up, leading to Cain killing Abel. John says, hey, don't kill people, obviously. But then the extra thing that's tacked on, right? Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life. That's a little difficult, if we're being honest. To not just control my actions, don't pick up a whatever weapon knife and stab people, but control your feelings about that person, the way you think about that person, your intentions toward that person, not just in the way you might kill them, but in the way you treat them at work or at school or in your family, if it's somebody in your family or in the assembly, if it's a fellow Christian or however it is that you interact with that person. Not just don't kill that person, but... Don't hate that person either. So as we go through these texts,
text. It's not just what we do, but how we think and feel about others, right? In the New Testament, as, we, as we've thought about these commandments, as the Old Testament has been fulfilled, right? The Old Covenant has been a, a, a fulfilled and, and is over and done. We, there's numerous passages we've read about that. That doesn't mean that these principles are not universal and carry forward. In the New Testament, the command, thou shall not murder, has been turned into the more perfect command, thou shall not hate. Because it is the hatred that would lead to murder, right? And God knows this. He knows this because he made that distinction that we talked about. If he's just, if there's a, uh, the one that was more interest, most interesting to me in Numbers is, if he throws a stone at him without seeing him there, and the stone causes, how would that even happen? Like somebody's walking under a cliff, I guess, and oh no, I dropped this stone off the cliff and it hit this guy. Like the, like, the pian like the piano falling out of a building you see in cartoons sometimes. Like that idea, God knows, right? Accidents are happening. There's things that are going to happen, accidental killings even. It's, it's just an unfortunate fact of life. That's not what he's talking about, right? The hatred, the premeditated, the clearly intentional, murderous intent, these feelings that lead to the killing, that's what God wants us to remove. The things in our hearts and in our minds that cause us to do that intentional thing, that's what God wants us to control, right? Not just the behavior, but the thing behind the behavior. And we're going to see that as we go through these commandments. Thou shall not murder. Thou shall not commit adultery. Thou shall not steal. Thou shall not bear false witness. All of those have something in the heart behind them. And we're going to see in the last commandment, the 10th commandment, really just drives at the heart in itself. You shall not covet. Which is not an action necessarily, but what is it? It's a, an, an attitude, a feeling, a thought. Control the way you think and feel is what Jesus says over and over and over and over and over. Romans 13. We're probably going to read this every week for the next four or five weeks. Because this is, well, you'll see why. We just read it. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, which is uh, 6, 7, 8, and 10, or any other commandment, any of them, all of the commandments, all of the various things that God has said to do are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Now, the implication that Paul's making here, even back in the day, this would have been true, right? If the Israelites, and, and the, the prophets talk about this a lot, the Israelites sort of missed the point of a lot of the commands. They took it sort of legalistically, obviously. And they didn't really think about their heart, the way they were thinking about God, the way they were thinking about their relationship with God. So this is not just a thing that's true in the New Testament. I think it was true back then. Love is the fulfilling of the law. If I love you as I love myself, well, I'm not going to kill you, right? Because I don't want to be killed. If I love you as I love myself, I'm not going to commit adultery. Because, man, I'd hate it if you committed adultery with my wife. If I love you as I love myself, I'm not going to steal from you. Because I don't want to be stolen from. 
tied up in the golden rule too, right? Treat others the way you want to be treated. That's the core that Jesus is driving at in these commandments. This is this behavioral relational commands, right? So, to wrap it up, which is harder to control, your actions or your thoughts and feelings? If I'm being honest with myself, thoughts and feelings to me are way harder to control because I can fake it, right? I can fake it with you. I could trick you really well if I wanted to. My actions, not so much. I mean, I do what I do. You see what I do. It is what it is. But my thoughts and feelings, those are so private. Those are so personal. Now, we obviously forget what? I may be able to hide it from you, but who am I not hiding it from? Not hiding it from God. Not tricking God. So this idea of the, even if it's difficult, Jesus has asked us in the new covenant, the new way of thinking about life, don't just think about controlling your actions. Think about controlling your thoughts and your feelings. Why do Jesus and his apostles expect so much of us? Because that's a lot to ask. Not just treat people well, but think about people well. Why does he ask so much? To whom much has been given, much will be expected. What do we have that they didn't have? The gift of the Holy Spirit? The completed word of God? We have so much more than the Israelites did. We have God's full revelation. We have full understanding of what's after death. The Israelites sort of had a vague idea. They didn't have any idea, though. They didn't really know what was coming after death. We do. We've been given all this information. We have God's Spirit poured out in our hearts when we are immersed into Christ. We have been given so much. And along with those amazing gifts is a greater expectation that we will mold ourselves into the image of Christ, not just in the way that we behave, but in the way that we think about people. So yes, don't, let me, let me I should say this at least once, probably during the sermon, don't murder. Don't do that. But also, don't hate. Don't insult. Don't, what is the other words that he said there? Don't be angry with your brother. Some of the versions include without cause. How do we rein in our emotions and our thoughts to prevent ourselves from living in our anger and hatred? That's the question, right? I feel like I'm receiving revelation from heaven over here. Somebody over there is wicked. That's what that means. No, it's not. How do we rein that in? That's the question, right? And, and one of the things that we, one of the reasons it's so important that we have fellowship like this, that we come and we spend time with other Christians and we learn and why we study the Bible so much. Sometimes I've been asked, why do you study this so, the Bible so much at that church? Why do you have so many Bible classes? Why do you have so many Bible studies? Because this is really hard. Really hard, right? It is hard to do this. And if I didn't have you guys, there's no way I'd ever do it. If I didn't have the constant encouragement of other Christians, I would not be able to do this. To, to mold and change who I am into being more like the image of Christ, there, there's no way. If I didn't have you to help me, if I didn't have constant learning and nourishment from God's word, that's what I need if I'm going to do this. Not just three hours a week, let me suggest, but every day, day by day, as I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm drawing closer to God. Finally, how can we... What can we do to avoid this hatred, even of people who wrong us horribly? Because that's the difficult part. He says in another place, sure, everybody likes their friends, but like or love your enemies as well. 
Love your enemies. Even wicked people love their friends. So the difficulty for us as Christians, right? Even people who treat us horribly, who do horrible things to us, how do we avoid having the attitude of Cain, who hated his brother, which led him to murder? And might I suggest that the way this manifests for us most of all, this hatred in our hearts, it's going to manifest in spiritual murder, because what are you going to do? I hate that guy. There's no way I'm going to teach him the gospel. There's no way I'm going to do what I can to help him have a relationship with God. There's no way I'm going to want him to be in a part of God's kingdom. There's no way I'm going, to, I'm going to reach out and try to influence him for Christ and for the gospel. So yeah, maybe you don't kill that person physically, but if you are contributing to a continued lostness, you are doing something far worse because of your hatred and your enmity. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of work. And ultimately, this is not something we can answer in 25 minutes. Prayer, devotion, continued study, continued uh, uh, fellowship. These are the things we need if we want to have the attitudes that Jesus wants us to have. So the invitation is quite simple, right? If you are struggling with these ideas, these attitudes, these feelings, these thoughts— Maybe you've thought about murdering someone. That's pretty bad. We should talk about that too. But more than that, even if you're struggling with the, the, the uh, resentment and the malicious thoughts and the evil intentions of our hearts, let us help you with that because I don't think anybody can do that alone. We need to help each other. If that's something you're struggling with, please let us help you. And if you are not a child of God, if you're not sure of your eternal destination, let me please extend the invitation to you now. Please make it right with God. Be a part of his kingdom.